With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to yet another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. Chris McPherson, Jordan, alongside Fran Duffy, Chris Barletto, hailing things behind the glass for us today. Fran, do you get the sense of excitement that obviously everyone's excited about free agency and all the rumblings of what's taking place out there with the Eagles? We'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. But, you know, once free agency comes and goes, you know that draft is right around the corner, baby. It's like it's excitement. But angst, like it's both, you know. Really? I, yeah, the, the clock's ticking. I, I got a lot of work to do. Okay. So you know, it's uh, it's both. Though. It's de- it's definitely exciting. Uh, you know, we're at the part now where we're all kind of just glued to our computers and uh, glued to our Twitter feeds and saying, all right, who who are the teams bringing in in free agency or who are they trading for? Oh, and who's visiting where? Who's, yeah. who's putting in a lot of work? Who's doing what at their pro day? Uh, to me, those are it's very very interesting, and it brings up an interesting topic because you know you and I talk and we joke about. Uh, how much I hate the question about uh, oh who you visited with the combine and who met with who and all that stuff. <laughs> really, we're at the point now where it's a culmination of things. You know, because now you get to the point where okay, to me, like the private visits are, and every team handles them differently. Some teams go and it's full on smokescreen. Like yep. Seattle for the last two years. They've never bought in anybody that they've drafted for a pre-draft visit. Now, you, you've been doing a lot of studies on this. Yeah, I've been trying way, to follow so. it. Some teams are a little bit more, you know, they're, they're not as bashful to, to say who they're interested in. Now, teams try and mix it up. I wouldn't put it past Pete Carroll this year to say, all right, we're going to visit with everybody that we want to actually draft because, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the poker game that they all try and play. But it's that time of year now where we're all in the information business trying to follow what's going on behind the scenes. Pete Carroll's also interesting because he tweets out clues. I know he does that. As to who the Seahawks, you know, yes. might be. Eyeing That's right. I forgot about in that. the draft. So that'd be something to go back and follow as well. So it, what's interesting about the top thirty phase is, are you trying to bring in guys? You know, obviously you're probably interested, but is it guys who you need to learn certain things about, or are you get to the point where where it's like we're going to welcome them into the family. We want to see what they're like. You know, inside our building, as you know, working with the coaches being around if there's any players in the building at, at the time. Both. Things of that nature. Yeah, both. or if it's a combination of both. Yeah, yeah, so. You know, I think, like, there are, we hear all the time, okay, well, if they meet with them at the Senior Bowl, they're not going to meet with them at the Combine. Well, if you didn't have everybody at the Senior Bowl, let's say your coaching staff wasn't at the Senior Bowl. Of course. Well, now you, you, you didn't talk to them at the Combine, so your coaching staff may not have gotten a lot of time with them at the Combine. Now we have to talk with them, and let's bring, let's bring them into the building and see what they can do, you know, what they're like, and spend the whole day with them. Remember, when they bring them into the you know to, for the whole uh, the the whole private visit, they're going a million different ways. Like mm-hmm. they're they're meeting with so many different people behind the scenes. So it's not like oh you know uh, you know DK Metcalf is visiting the Oakland Raiders on Saturday. He's going to have the entire day to spend with John Gruden. No, no, no. They, they, no. He they they go through so many different phases of that visit. So uh, again, you're still only talking about a small amount of time. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to kind of follow that whole part of the process. All right, come up on the show. We got pick six, six players who Fran and I believe are day three sleepers. Our unofficial visit is with Juan Thornhill, the safety from Virginia, and we have plenty of your questions in our draft mailbag. Where we'll get to some of the Eagles-related stuff going on, not so much in the draft, but free agency and the like. But as we do each and every week, we kick things off with a little draft buzz, courtesy of Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Let's get to that now. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. 
It's time for Draft Buzz, and we welcome in the man, the myth, the legend, Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com, at Tony Pauline on Twitter. Tony, first question here, Daniel Jeremiah, good friend from NFL Network, he released his most recent top 50 big board, the prospects, and as he explains it, these are as he ranks the players with what he sees with his eyes. He says when he does his mock draft, it's what he's hearing around the league. So this is, these are his top 50 players. And he has Miles Sanders, the running back from Penn State, jumping up to number 43 overall. Now, Sanders had pretty good combine. Did this combine workout help him that much? And what are you hearing from teams based on what he has done since Indianapolis? I think his combine workout was expected. I mean, if you watch the film, Sanders was an accomplished ball carrier at Penn State. I mean, he was very good. He was solid last year when he backed up Saquon Barkley. He took it to another level. So the speed and the athleticism uh, really shouldn't surprise. I've always had him graded as a third-round pick. He's my 80, number 82 on my board right now. He's my uh, fifth uh, running back. It's going to be a competition between, I believe, him and Daryl Henderson of Memphis for that uh, fourth spot in the uh, running back class. Just a matter of uh, where the running backs come off the board. His, his combine workout was not a surprise to me because he shows all that quickness, the athleticism, the speed, the burst, the change of direction on film, uh, So, which is a good thing. You know he's a good athlete, and he's able to apply that athleticism onto the football field. Tony, along the same lines, who are the players around the draft class who have teams scrambling to recheck the tape after their performances in Indianapolis? From a positive point of view, it's Cody Ford. His testing numbers weren't that good, but his position drills were terrific. So I think the, the narrative or the conversation with Cody Ford is, can you leave him out of tackle? Because during position drills at the combine, he showed good footwork. He showed good lateral range. He showed the ability you know, to potentially stay at the right tackle spot at the next level, where most people, including myself, have basically moved him inside the guard. So you've got to look at it and kind of decide, are we drafting this guy as a tackle or are we drafting him as a guard? Sort of like what happened with Isaiah Wynn last year. Everyone thought Isaiah Wynn was going to be uh, selected as a guard. The Patriots took him uh, with the last, uh, at the end of the uh, first round, the 31st pick, I apologize, uh, as an offensive tackle, as an offensive left tackle. I think the same thing's going on with Cody Ford. From a negative point of view, it's got to be Greg Little. I mean, Greg Little, I, right after the 2018 draft was completed, Many of us said, you know, did our mock drafts and had Greg Little as a top 10 pick. He did not play well in 2018. He tested horribly uh, at the combine. He did not look good in position drills. So the question with Greg Little is right now is, you know, was a guy who many thought would be a top 15 pick, is he even worth the selection around one? Tony, every day it seems like on DraftAnalyst.com you guys do a great job of posting results from the pro days and what guys have done. We're about a week and change into the process now with the first pro day being right after the combine ended last week. So now that we're uh, you know, a few days into this process, who's one player that has really helped themselves so far with what they've done at their pro day? Well, I'm going to give you two players, actually, because okay. there's only been a few, uh, a few pro days in Neither of these guys performed at the Combine, but both of them we saw at the Shrine Game. The first one would be Divine Zigbo of, of Nebraska, who at 220 pounds, ran in the mid-4.5s, had a 37-inch vertical jump. I'm told he looked really good in position drills, caught the ball very well. You know, it, basically what we saw uh, from the, uh, Zigbo at the Shrine Game practices, what we saw from him during the 2018 season, basically tested and did the same thing. So I think he's a guy who didn't go to the Combine, probably going to be a mid-around pick. 
Terry Wright, the receiver from Purdue. Uh, again, another guy who wasn't at the combine, wasn't even graded by scouts coming into the year. Had a great week at Shrine Game practices. Basically showed that speed uh, during testing when he ran in the four threes. So Terry Wright, someone who was not even on the radar screen before the 2018 season began in the, in the scouting community, played well, good at the Shrine Game, showed the athleticism at, at Pro Day. He could potentially be a late-round pick right now. So, Tony, we're starting to see a lot of these post-combine mock drafts come out. We've seen the big boards, obviously, CMAC reference, Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 board that came out earlier this week. Our buddy Dane Brugler from The Athletic posted his most recent first-round mock draft, and he's got Noah Fant, number 18, to the Minnesota Vikings. We know that he's a freak athlete, but do you think the teams now view Noah Fant as a lock for the first round or a lock for the top 20 picks overall? I don't know about top 20 picks, but first round, I'd say yes for a couple of reasons. Like you said, you know, he tested off the charts as everyone knew he was going uh, to do. For the most part, even though he was outplayed by Hockerson at Iowa, I mean, he played well. I, they, he catches the ball well. He battles uh, for the reception. He does a good job when he's asked to block, although they don't always ask him to block. He moves around the field well. And the other thing that we've talked about, you know, in the lead-up to uh, the, 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 the uh, pre-draft war process, the, the Shrine game and everything, i stated a number of times, the tight ends are going to be overdrafted this year, which means you're going to have guys who are usually second-round picks go in the first round, last-day guys go in, in the, in the uh, second day of the draft. Uh, as I've been told, they expect at least 15 tight ends to be selected in the first 125 selections. That means before the end of the fourth round, 15 tight ends are going to be drafted, and a lot of these guys are going to be overdrafted. Look what's happened thus far in free agency. Nick Boyle, who is primarily a blocking tight end, was given a huge contract to stay with the Baltimore Ravens. Jesse James is about to sign a massive contract with the Detroit Lions, and Jesse James, for the most part, has been a backup uh, throughout his career at Pittsburgh Steel- with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I think it's as much the fact that there is a high demand at the uh, position and there's not great supply as much of the fact that Noah Fant looks to have the potential to be a really dominant tight end down the road, which is why he'll be a round one pick. Interesting because you actually called Nick Boyle during our Combine podcast when we were in Indianapolis. So, again, whenever whether it's NFL news, whether it's free agency draft, make sure to check out draftanalyst.com. Now, a player I wanted to ask you about, Tony, was Emmanuel Hall from Missouri. Okay, we, we didn't get a chance to see him at the Senior Bowl due to injury, and that's kind of plagued him throughout his career. But he tested off the charts at the Combine, you know, as amazing, amazing speed to burn down the field. I wonder if he's going to be viewed – by some teams, that's like a Will Fuller type, is someone who maybe doesn't have the uh, you know diverse route tree just yet, but someone who, because of his size and speed, is just going to be too good to pass up. What what are you hearing post combine about Emmanuel Hall? Yeah, and and he doesn't have the diverse route tree because if you watch the film, basically he was sent on go routes uh, most of the time in Missouri, and Drew Locke was just able to, to uh, you know let the ball loose, and, and Hall was a terrific downfield threat. He also caught the underneath routes when they had him run uh, run underneath routes. He's a little bit stouter than Will Fuller. I think he's a better hand catcher than Will Fuller. The injuries are a concern. I mean, we're going to find out today. uh, Just let's go back to the combine. The combine said that they suspected he had a sports hernia, and they did not want him to uh, participate in the combine at all. He said, look, I want to run the 40, and I want to do the jumps, and I'll do my shuttles, and I'll do uh, the three-cone and everything else at Pro Day, which is what he did, and he turned in a great time. 
I, I spoke to his camp yesterday. They will find out today whether or not he actually has a sports hernia surgery. He's going to be inspected by, by doctors and specialists today, and then they will chart out the path moving forward. But I agree with you. I've got him as a third-round pick. He's got, you know, he's got solid size. He's almost six foot two, over two hundred pounds. He plays fast. He's very quick. Has to, have, you know, has to polish out his game as just about any offensive player coming out of the Missouri system has to. Whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a tight end, whether it's a a receiver, because they play just a wide open system. Um, but I love his upside. Durability is a knock on him, and I think it's justifiable. You know, we'll see what happens with this fourth surgery. Hopefully, I'll have something later today. Well, Tony, before we get into our mock draft roundup, I got to ask you if you had time to check out my mock draft. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that bad boy over the weekend. Uh, c posted it on Monday. So I want to get your thoughts on, on some of the things that maybe uh, shocked you. I want you to rip me if possible. Or some of the things that uh, surprised you going through my top 24 picks in the 2019 Don't draft. No, you know, see, I know what it's like because you put it out there, you put all that work in it, and you may make one mistake or something, and it's like, you know, you stole money from somebody's bank account, the way, you know, the, with the comments. But, I, you know, I, I was surprised that D.K. Metcalf went number four. I, I could see the Oakland Raiders taking him, but I think they take him with one of their later first-round picks. You know, I, I think there's this uh, – there's, there's an overabundance of love for D.K. Metcalf because he ran fast in a straight line and he jumped high. But his routes weren't good, as we talked about. You know, his shuttles and his three-cone times were terrible. Uh, I, I think just, you know, he is a Raiders type of receiver, but I think number four is just way too high for him. And I was really surprised that Christian Wilkins went 19. Now, I understand, you know, when you do the mock draft, you know, you try and fit need with the best player available, and then all of a sudden there's one highly rated guy, and you say to yourself, oh, my God, where am I going to put this guy? He shouldn't be here. He should have been gone in the first 15 picks. Uh, I, I do think, and other people have Christian Wilkins going later. Of course, Christian Wilkins is just too good of a defensive lineman, a three-down player that can be used in a variety of systems. I just can't see him getting out of the top 15, and I think he really is worthy of a top-ten pick. In my opinion, he's a lot of a lot like this year's version of Deron Payne. You know, Deron Payne a year ago got a lot of knocks. I always had him graded as a top-five player in the draft. He ended up going where in the mid part of the first round, the Washington Redskins had a terrific season. I could see that same thing happening with Christian Wilkins this year, a guy who deserves to be a top six player in the draft, but for whatever reason, they're going to manufacture holes in his game. He's going to go somewhere in mid-round one, and then he's going to be a terrific player from the get-go uh, uh, playing on Sundays. So you're telling me, like, don't get my hopes up at all about him falling to 25. <laughs> You know, if he does, it's a red flag. And the red flag with Christian Wilkins, it's kind of the wrong red flag. You know, they, 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 I've been told that, you know, he's a really interesting guy. He's a well-rounded guy. Uh, he's someone that, if he's not a really good football player, could be the CEO of a company. And what happens is sometimes people take that the wrong way, that he doesn't make football a priority, priority because he has, has other interests. Um, but if he, falls to 20, if he falls that deep into the draft, you know, something's up, uh, but it would be, as they say in the draft world, manna from heaven for the Eagles. So, Tony, if you're Howie Roseman, if you're Joe Douglas, and the fans have overwhelmingly voted for Josh Jacobs, the running back from Alabama, to be the 25th pick based on how Fran did the first 24 selections, I think it's close to 50% of the vote. If you're in Howie Roseman and Joe Douglas' seat, who would you select for the Eagles there? And then do you have any thoughts or any insight as to where the Eagles might be leaning overall, regardless of uh, Fran's first 24 picks? 
the answer to your second question is no at this point in time. The answer to your first question is it sounds like I'm late to the party because I also say Josh Jacobs, and I say Josh Jacobs for a couple of reasons. Last year they were very interested in Darius Geis, and they did a lot of soul-searching and a lot of digging really up to the point when they were on the clock and considered Darius Geis with that, uh, with that pick in round one before they traded down and then took a Dallas Goddard. So I, I, I think Josh Jacobs does not have the baggage that Darius Geis has. I think he's got the versatility that the Eagles want in the running back as far as the ability to run inside, run outside, be a pass catcher. He's got to pick up his blocking a little bit, but I, I think he's capable of doing that. Also doesn't have a lot of mileage on the treads because of the fact that, you know, uh, they used a three-headed monster at running back at Alabama. So he, he doesn't enter the league with a lot of carries. And he's a guy who, you know, he's a good football player now, and he has tremendous upside potential, which is the type of player that the Eagles, and especially Harry Roseman, likes to bring in. You know, guys that, if coached correctly, they're good players now. They could be spectacular players down the road. So I would agree with the fans. Right now, from where I sit, you know, looking at what they've done in free agency, the trades they made, and the things that could be on the horizon, I think Josh Jacobs is a good bet. All right, so last thing, we always finish off with a mock draft roundup, and uh, I know we just did Franz, but uh, Pro Football Focus has their latest one out, and they have the Eagles taking the Ole Miss receiver, A.J. Brown, not D.K. Metcalf. Obviously, uh, saying Brown can win either outside or in the slot. He's also excellent after the catch as he broke 50 tackles on 188 career receptions, good for 7.6 yards per reception or yards after the catch per reception I should say uh, your thoughts with the Eagles potentially taking Brown there at number 25 I like Brown but I don't think it's a good fit for the Eagles offense primarily because Howie Roseman is prioritizing speed in this year's draft and I just don't think that Brown has the speed he wants at receiver I like Brown as a receiver from what I'm hearing though I, I just don't think it's a good fit for what Howie Roseman wants to do to take that you know keep that team at the top and really take it to the next level. I just don't think he's fast enough uh, to insert into the lineup what, what Roseman and Coach Peterson want. Interesting to see if speed will be one of the storylines for the Eagles yeah. going through the rest of free agency and into the draft. Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Again, follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauline. Tony, it's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it. Up next now, pick six. Six players who we think are day three sleepers. Let's get into that segment right now. Now it's time for pick six. Great, great stuff as always from Tony. And uh, the running back in the first round would be fascinating. Absolutely fascinating for the Eagles. Now, I've talked about this before. We look at the teams that have been successful. And you look at the New England Patriots, you know, coming off the Super Bowl win. Who did they use their first round pick on last year? Sony Michelle. Yep. So one one of the first round picks, I should say, but nonetheless, still the fact that they used that capital and it and it paid off for them with the championship winning touchdown run. And I think that more there are obviously a lot of people out there that are anti taking a running back round one. Like you know the, the numbers and everything point to the fact that you don't want to take a running back round one. I think if for even for those people, 
they may back off on that stance a little bit for a player like Jacobs because of the what Tony mentioned with the low mileage. I yes. mean, he, he's not. This is not a guy that you know has a ton of carries on his body already, and you're worried about him breaking down in three, four years. I don't think that would be the case with a guy like Josh Jacobs, especially later in the first round. Yes, where, that's the other part of it too. Where the commitment is not going to be financially as severe as if you're taking him in those Number first two ten overall. picks. Right. Exactly. I think there is a huge difference there as well. So uh, I'll let you kick things off here. This one's got your first one's got hurt you a little bit. I mean, this is this is your guy. This is a guy you've been pounding the table. It, well, it, it, it could hurt. I guess it hurts in a certain way that you feel like that he's a day three sleeper because you believe so much in him. That's that's it. That, right. That's what is more than anything else. But obviously, you still believe in him, even though he hasn't had the best uh, pre-draft process to date. Well, and I think it, it comes down to the the topic that is debated often and that's valuation versus evaluation. I feel very strongly about my, my evaluation of Jalen Jelks, the pass rusher from Oregon. He's a guy that I think has a lot of high upside as a pass rusher, has played up and down the line for the Ducks, a number of different positions over the course of the last few years. I love his motor. I love his tools. He's built the right way. He moves well. I know the combine testing wasn't great, but uh, this is a guy that on film to me really, really piques my interest. So I'm very intrigued by him. He was one of my, I want to say he was one of my top 10 seniors entering the year oh, off the article. I, so. I, mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had him very, very high up you, you, on against that list. Early, early in, in the Journey to Draft podcast when it was, you know, you and Ben and Tony, I mean, you were – I was learning about Jalen Jelks back then. Yeah, so. I was, I was, I've been a big fan of Jalen Jelks really since the summer. So uh, to me, watching it, it's like, all right, well, probably not. I mean, he's certainly not going to be a first-round pick. That cer- certainly is off the table. Probably not going to be a high second-round pick. So really, I think most people would seem that it would, you know, he'll probably be mid-day two to potentially day three. And if he's a day three guy, someone's going to get a really intriguing player day three. It happens. The guy that I always compare him to, um, you know, from the Minnesota Vikings or from LSU, who for some reason I'm sure. Everson Griffin? No. uh, Daniel Hunter. Yeah, Daniel Hunter. Donnell Hunter is a day yeah. three guy, like, and he's turned into one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. He's a guy that I constantly compare uh, Jalen Jelks to. So, to me, Jalen Jelks, if he's there on, day, in the, on the third day of the draft, somebody's going to get a good player. Yeah, so, and that's the thing for you. Is it one of those things where it's like if he pans out in a couple of years, it's like, I told you so. I knew about without it. question. Yeah, you know, <laughs> absolutely. That's, that's one where all of a sudden you got to be retweeting yourself in a couple of years. Bro. I mean, I'll never go and retweet myself. I, I, prob- I probably would never go and retweet myself. <laughs> probably not, exactly. Probably not. But, like the Eagles taking a running back in the first round, if the situation presented itself, you may be too good to pass That's up. That's right. So. Uh, my first guy, uh, very intriguing because of the experience he has playing tackle. It comes from a small school in northern Illinois. That's what we're talking about, Max Sharping here. And uh, your piece that we ran over the weekend, a little backstory on, on this piece. So, Fran was phenomenal at – Going to like pretty much every prospect. Now they usually have when they do the different waves of player interviews at the combine. They were eight the eight top guys in a group at podiums, and then they have the other guys to the Tables, side. Yep. But but Fran was great about hitting pretty much everyone. Well, he knew all the guys, whether it were podiums, tables, up and down. He was hitting them all with questions. And when he came out, he had a couple of topics that he consistently hit guys on that he he thought would be, and I agree, would be great column ideas. So one of them was who was the toughest player. You faced, and you know, Fran. I said, just you know, put your piece together, and I'll I'll go through and edit it for the weekend. And he sends me this, <laughs> as three, is usually the case. It's this notebook of like three thousand words, and it's just like it's everything. He just literally says, "All right, here you go." Boom! It's like you know, he gave me the ingredients. You know, go now 
you know, put it into something, make something out of it. So I was like, all right, well, let's read through what we got. And I'm like, there's so many guys, offense and defensively. I'm like, right. let's get, we can get two pieces out of this, okay? Yes. Then it's like, let's just categorize it so you get, you know, if someone wants to just scroll through, you'll see all the names mentioned. And yep. Max Sharping is one of the guys who's mentioned. So I mean, He was one that I felt I felt was worthy when I talked with this player that you're going to bring up. I, I talked with Brian Burns, the, yeah. the defensive end from uh, Florida State, and I, I when he said Max Sharping, I was I was kind of taken aback. I was like, you know, this is a guy that goes up against top flight offensive linemen in the ACC. They play Florida every year. Jawan Taylor was on the schedule this year. First, and he did mention Jawan Taylor, but the first guy he mentioned was Max Sharping. Yeah. I thought, you know, to me, like that's those are the answers I'm looking for when I like the guys that are off the you know off the radar. Exactly. So that's that's why I go with Max Sharping as my first guy. And and from every and, and the challenge, and like you said, it's like where is he projected in the draft? Yeah. And and you try to. Look at the draftanalyst.com rankings. You know, you go like Draft Network and see where you you try to get a sense of where do mock drafts have these guys going. And there's no one that seems to have them in that first or second day conversation at this yeah. point. Yeah, so. no, I I think that's probably right. Uh, to me, uh, ban- you know, banking off of that, uh, I talked with Taylor Rapp, the the Washington safety, who I am a big big fan of. I think he's a first round talent in this draft. Uh, and I asked him who was the toughest player. So you know he's a, re- and I tried to ask it the same way. Some guy, sometimes it's like, hey, I just can get, get a question. Hey, who was the toughest guy you face? And they'll name the most talented guy or the guy that's going to be a first round pick. Yeah. But with Taylor Rapp, I had a chance to kind of chat with him a little bit, and I said, hey, you know, you're a really tough player. And usually, if I like butter him up a little bit, like they're more willing to like give a longer <laughs> answer. I said, you're a really tough player. Who is the f- most? Who is the toughest guy that you faced this past year? Not the most talented, not the most gifted. Who was the toughest guy? So he thought about it. And he said, no one's talking about Bryce Love anymore. And he said, you know, Bryce Love, he said he's smaller, but he was really productive. I know the numbers weren't great this year, um, but he is a really, really tough runner. He's very instinctive. And he went on and on. And I put the, the quotes in the, in the piece because um, he, he's in that article as well. But Bryce Love, to me, you look at a day three sleeper, a guy that a lot of people thought would be, you know, so he was getting first round buzz, but I never thought he would be a first round pick. I thought more likely a day two guy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the injury now that he tore his ACL in December, he's looking at probably a red shirt year. Uh, certainly, will start the season on the pup list, and we'll see if he come, can come back in the latter stages. But uh, when you're looking at Bryce Love, this is a guy that can do a lot of different things for your own offense. He can be a return man. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. Wasn't used that way all the time at Stanford, but certainly has that skill set to be able to be a matchup type piece out of the backfield. So, to me, I think that's a team's going to get a good player because he, he's a, a good running back on film. You talk about an intriguing, a, a weird and awkward press conference. I'll put Taylor Rapp in that category because of some of the questions that were being thrown in his direction. So he probably welcomed the fact that uh, it wasn't about his heritage and his upbringing, that yep. you were actually asking him football questions, uh, if anything else. All right, my second guy, uh, I'm going to stay in the Pac-12 um, you know, arrival of Stanford and Washington's. I'm going to go on the defensive side, and this is USC linebacker Cameron Smith and um, had a chance to talk with him at the Senior Bowl and a highly decorated career. Probably looked more as like a two-down linebacker uh, transitioning to the NFL, but was a captain, has the leadership and tangibles, all that stuff. But then he went and tested very well at the combine. Yep. And that's sort of the light bulb for me. It's like, wait a second, you know, you figure this is the type of guy that you know from a character standpoint, you know what you're going to get, you know, but is the athleticism not, not there? Well, it is. Well, all right. How come maybe this didn't translate over to the field? And that's one of the things as you know, we were talking with Tony in the in the last segment about like who are the guys that teams need to go recheck film wise. You know, 
I think Cam Smith's going to be intriguing. And again, I don't see him anywhere in these first two days of being selected. But yep. if you have a, a heady linebacker, captain, leadership experience, and, and he interned at a winery while he was uh, while he was in, in college, so you know. Uh, more with the not not taste testing. I was going to say, was he a taster? No, or? it wasn't become a sommelier or anything like that. I think it was more uh, working the land in the okay. agriculture standpoint. So, uh, you know, fascinating background, great conversation. But uh, when you take what he did on the field at USC and then you add in that the athleticism, athleticism is there, to me, I think that could be a, a nice sleeper on day three. One guy that I would have said, I would have said the same things about uh, that we just don't have the answers to yet is T.J. Edwards, the linebacker from Wisconsin. Yeah. The guy that another one I'm really really high on this kid in terms of coming into the season. I think he was my number one senior linebacker. Certainly was on that top 25 seniors list uh, that we put out back in the summer. Uh, and to me, T.J. Edwards has got very very instinctive both against the run and the pass. Extremely productive. Had just under 400 tackles in his career. Had 25 ball disruptions. So for a guy that a lot of people, including myself, the question is his athleticism, his speed, his range. Mm-hmm. Does he have the ability to be a three-down player in today's NFL? Didn't work out at the combine. Yeah. Didn't go to the senior bowl. Didn't go to the shrine game. So we haven't seen him. We want to see him move. Hopefully he can answer that question at his pro day because that might quell some of the concerns that people have. You know that, that, that is the worry is how athletic is he? Cam Smith answered some of those questions. Now we need TJ Edwards to answer some of those questions as well. But the film, to me, he's one of the best linebackers in the class. He's not to the level of Devin White and Devin Bush and those guys. I think he's in that tier below. But certainly a guy that, to me, would be a day two, day two pick. But without the athleticism being answered, we don't know. And probably he's going to fall to day three. All right, my last guy. This is someone who, again, tested extremely well at the Combine. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. And to me... You're looking at a day three guy. You're looking for some kind of trait. This is a guy who can rush the pass, passer, someone who has the athleticism to get up the field. It was very productive early in his career at TCU. I believe he was the uh, the Big 12 newcomer of the year during his time yep. there. Uh, this is Ben Bonogo. Uh, we, we talk about – You like this kid. I do. I, I have yeah, a feeling, yeah. I, I think I do like him. And, again, for this exercise here, because we talk a lot about LJ Collier, and we, yep. we talk about in the podcast where you're like, look – Benuga is more of the the athlete, but Kali might be more of the football player, sure. so to speak. And uh, for me, it's again, I'm looking at day three guys, and there are a couple of guys who were coming to mind. And it's like, who's someone who has a, an elite trait? And when I look at the athleticism, it's someone who again plays a premium position, has the athletic upside. You know, there's tools there to be worked with. You know, someone who, if he could put it all together, could be very productive. So that's why I look at him as a day three sleeper. Yeah, Banigo is going to be a very interesting guy. He, he's definitely going to be a day three pick, but the, the combine absolutely helped him. Certainly. So those are six players who we think are day three sleepers. And up next, someone who's not going to be a day three no. sleeper whatsoever. Safety Juan Thornhill from Virginia. I had a chance to talk with him at the Senior Bowl. Here's that interview in our unofficial visit. The unofficial visit. Hello, Eagles fans. Chris McPherson here with Juan Thornhill, the pride of Virginia, and Juan, first and foremost. I'm going to let you put it out there. Why did you think that you're the best safety in this entire draft class? Because that I've always been taught that the ball is the most important thing. So okay. you, you can't you can't score touchdowns if you don't have the football. And if you don't have a guy that's on defense that's willing to stop the offense from, from scoring, like, 
you can't you can't win. So you have to you have to draft a guy that has like a bunch of interceptions. It's taking away the ball away from the offense and in order to get it back to your team. So you start of your career you were a cornerback. So you transitioned to safety. How do you think that made you a better player playing both positions? Uh, starting off at cornerback, I really didn't have to even talk talk much at all. Just go out there and play football because I had guys like Michael Kaiser and Quinn Bland in there that was basically running the defense. And then the fact that they moved me back to safety this past year, it it helped me more because I know that I had to learn a lot more. I learned the defense a lot more, and it's just. I mean, things just opened up for me because if you have a guy that can play multiple positions, it just helps you out a lot because the teams want a guy that, just in case there's injuries or things such as that, if you have a guy that can step in and play cornerback, a guy that can step in and play safety, you want a guy like that because you can stick him in anywhere and he'll still know the difference no matter where he goes. Did you embrace the challenge when the coaches came to you with that because you're going to your senior year, you want to put the best tape on film for teams to look at you in the draft, you're saying maybe it could be a little iffy because it's a newer position for you. So how did you deal with the challenge of that? Um, I, I think I did with it pretty well. Like I was, I was excited about moving back to safety because really? I was, I felt I got recruited at safety, and then when the co new coaching staff got there, they moved me to a cornerback, and I've never played it really. But I played it my freshman year, and that was pretty much it. So they moved me to cornerback, and then I just did it because I'm willing to play whatever it takes just to be on the field. And then knowing that they moved me back to safety, I was really excited because I know that I'm better at safety because I'm I'm better with my my face towards the ball than with okay. my back towards the ball. So. Uh, so I was just willing to step in and make plays, and whenever they put me in there, I was just excited and ready to go. One, who is someone out there who has helped you get to this point today? Would you like to give a shout-out to someone in your support system who's allowed you to get to draft day? Oh, I really can't give it to just one person, because okay. I don't, I don't want to leave anyone out, but <laughs> there's definitely a lot of people out there that definitely helped me get here. What would you say is the most underrated aspect of playing, whether you want to go corner, whether you want to go safe, but playing there in the defensive secondary? Um... Just me in general, or yeah, in terms of just the, it could be for you in general, and just terms of what it takes to play the positions. Just what are some, some things that fans may not appreciate that you're like, it takes a lot to be able to be good at that. The the confidence that that the DBs have out there is just is tremendous because of the fact that you can have a great game, you can shut the receiver down every single play. They can throw it to him 50 times, you knock it down 49. But if you give up that one touchdown, they make you lose the game. <laughs> Everyone they they don't like you just because of that one touchdown. So. I think fans need to, to look at those things and see that one catch doesn't make a player good or bad. So that's one thing I think that fans need to start looking at more. Juan, for Eagles fans who are checking out your highlights now, what would how would you describe your style of play? Uh, me personally, I'm a ball hawk. So if the ball's in the air, I'm going to make the play. That's so yours. That's, that's your baby. That's me because I – uh, I'm not trying to give it to anyone. If it's, if it's me and my cornerback right there, I'm still trying to win that battle. So that's just me. I'm a ball hawk, and I feel like I'm a tremendous player, and I can fit in any scheme. So if you draft me to, to Philly, you won't be disappointed. Last question here for you, Juan. Can't name a teammate. Put you on the spot a little bit here. You can't name a teammate who is the best person, best player you went against in the 2018 season. This past season, I'm definitely going to say Finley. Ryan Finley from uh, NC State. A guy, he... He's pretty smart. Like he had to change up it a little bit. I had to uh, disguise our defense a little bit more because of the fact that we knew that he was really smart. And he had a lot of experience, and then we were trying to disguise big time. But it just seemed like he still knew what we were doing. He was kind of like picking our defense apart a little bit, so it was kind of difficult to, to trick him. But he's definitely a great quarterback. Love that inside Juan Thornhill, of pride of Virginia, safety corner, defensive back, can do it all. Thank you very much for joining us here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, once again, another set of excellent questions in our Draft Mailbag, courtesy of you guys out there. So, little thing to lead off with here. 
we we know all the rumblings. We're, we're recording this. It's around noontime on Tuesday, and we know there's a lot of buzz out there about what the Eagles are doing in free agency. You know, until the team announces it, can't really touch it, unfortunately. So basically, we had to we had to make a choice: do we hold the podcast and then talk about it? Yeah. Or do we get you guys a Journey to the Draft podcast to chew on for a day, and certainly, then we certainly. can hit on everything in the Eagle Eye in the Sky and the Eagles Live podcast later this week? A lot more coming up here, yes. yeah. So we're fully aware, and we're not trying to be you know, oblivious in ignoring what's out there. It's just you know, working for the team. The only, the only real move we can talk about at this point is Jason Peters coming back on the one-year deal. So that's in stone, and actually there's a question coming up here in a segment that will touch on that. So uh, let's get into the questions. First one comes from, you know, again, if you leave a rate – or a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll get to those first. RJ Field 11. Uh, thank you very much for the five star rating, first and foremost. The question Ja'Kai Polite out of Florida, how does he fit with what the Eagles are looking for? Uh, also, has a couple other guys wants us to touch on here Nasir Adderley. Uh, is Nasir Adderley more in the Rodney McLeod mold or Corey Graham or Malcolm Jenkins type role? Um, and then just wants to know. Uh, where those guys fit. So first with Ja'Kai Polites, um, just again, I'm going to go back to the whole combine situation, and this is Ja'Kai Polite. I don't know if the Eagles are bringing him in for a top 30 visit, but this is the type of guy that if you're interested in the film, okay, you'd want to get in the building, and maybe maybe the Eagles talk to him at the combine and maybe already have a feeling of, of where they want to go with him. But, you know, this is the type of guy who has a situation that you need to clarify. It's like, you know, is it someone who questioned openly to the media about being criticized and, you know, teams were very negative with him in the combine interviews? Like, you're coming to Philadelphia, okay? Not, that's just the NFL, but you're coming to Philadelphia with this, with this fan base, as passionate as it is. Look, they're going to tell you like it is. They're going to let you know when you're doing well. They're going to praise you when you're doing great, and they're going to let you know if you're not pulling your weight on the other, other end. And Everyone loves to be praised. Everyone wants to retweet great stuff that's being said about them. But is Ja'Kai Blake going to go through his Twitter mentions and see negative stuff about you know, what he's not doing on the field, this, that, and the other, guys who are outperforming him, and get down in the dumps and, and not fulfill his potential? I'll let you talk more about the playing style yeah. of what Polite brings to the table. Well, I think when you look at Polite, yeah, in theory, I mean, he honestly, he fits any scheme, right? I mean, if you have a guy that's got that kind of athleticism, uh, the ability to win off with his first step, but then also turn the corner, he's got outstanding flexibility. Athletically, it's all there. The question mark with Ja'Kai Polite on the field is – he was not a three-down player for Florida. He was a, he was a backup. He came off he came off the bench in passing situations. Some t- some games. I mean, I watched him against Georgia. Georgia is a run-heavy team. He didn't play much. I mean, maybe he may maybe played like 15, 20 snaps. I didn't count, but it wasn't a lot. And then you know, for other teams that are more pass-happy, you know, when they play you know, like a Missouri or an Auburn or something like that. Yeah, now he's on the field more. So I think when you look at Chakai Belight, it's like all right, well, he wasn't a three-down player in college. Is he going to be a three-down player here? Is he only going to play in passing downs here? And if that's the case, where are you valuing that? You know, you look back to it like a Tim Williams coming out of Alabama. Very similar situation. Tim Williams was in round one mock drafts all through the fall, all through the early parts of the offseason. And then people were like, oh, well, he's not a three-down player. Like, well, He ended up going, I think it was in the third round or fourth yeah, round right. for, for the Baltimore Ravens. And he hasn't really made much of an impact. Now we'll see. They've, they've had some turnover reportedly uh, in Baltimore, so we'll see if he does start to get those snaps. But uh, that's a situation where you're kind of looking at, okay, okay, we know what he can do athletically, but how is he going to impact our football team? What role is he going to play early and then long term? Is it similar to like a, like a Vic Beasley? 
yeah. in Atlanta. No like, question. Same type of situation Absolutely. where where and difference with him is Vic Beasley went. I forget where fourteen. He went. He went, he went top ten, didn't he? Top he went, ten. Like, did he got eight or nine. Maybe it was eight or nine. Okay, yeah. for some reason I have, I have fourteen. Maybe that's where they're picking now. I don't know. If that's right. probably what I'm correlating to. But similar situation there yeah. where it's like okay, he's great at what he does, and certainly you want guys who can rush off the edge, certainly to get after the quarterback, but at what expense and that impacts the draft stock that means if you're not a complete player you're not going to be going there in that the second that second year he had double digit sacks Vic Beasley since then it's been kind of up and down and he's not a starter for that he was I mean he was listed as a Sam linebacker for the longest time they just this year moved him back to full-time defensive end yeah. my guess is in a redraft he probably isn't going as high as uh you know if you would put all those players back into the pool and say okay we're going to redraft based off what we know Vic Beasley wouldn't have gone that high. All right, next question comes from AO1Fan on Apple Podcast. Another five-star rating. Thank you very much. Uh, great show. Have you thought about having a show each year to discuss how, your, how accurate your evaluations were for the draft? Maybe look back at one, two, three years and see how you did. Stay tuned for the summer. Oh, that's what it's going to be. Some kind of, we'll probably stick one of those shows in there in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Right. We're gonna. This is gonna be a year-round show. So if you this enjoy the listening, first, this is the first real post-draft summer. Usually, I jump off. You know, we have the draft. We have the draft recap show. I'm out. So we we've never done it through there. We've done it now through college football season. This was the second time that we've yep. done through that. But we haven't had that period between the end of the draft and uh, I'm, football, I'm planning so. on doing some shows that'll be focused in on all the Eagles picks. So one pick, one show per player. Like uh, and then we'll do some, uh, some stuff as well where we're kind of looking in the review mirror and then start the previews for next month. I like that. Uh, Phantom FC on Apple podcast, another five star rating. Thank you very much. What do you think the Eagles will do to address the defensive tackle position? Should they draft more than one player or sign a free agent, then draft releasing Jernigan again and not a potentially being gone. Uh, leaves a void at the position. Also, do you look for a top running back in the draft, or do you get a guy to fit with the current group? Thanks, and keep up the great work. So we know all the rumblings are out there about Malik Jackson. You know, can't really get too much into defensive tackle. Jernigan, I wonder if even if this deal is done, could still possibly come back um, at, a, at a discount. It's just because they're not picking up the option. Doesn't mean that you know completely closes the door. But to me... I definitely, because of just how rich this defensive line class is, even if you're making this this reported move, that doesn't preclude you. Same with when they when they signed Brandon Graham. I wasn't like, all right, we'll take cross the end off the ball. Yep. No, it. I think Land Zeroline actually tweeted about this morning, and something that you've said many times. It's just a matter of you want to make sure you don't have any glaring holes going into free agency because that spot next to Fletcher Cox, by far, was probably an underrated gaping hole, and it's. Amazing that Fletcher was able to be as productive as he was last season without someone like Tim Jernigan in 2017 who could, you know, if, if Fletcher Cox getting double teamed, someone's got to win the one-on-ones. Jernigan could do that and did that well in 2017. You don't have that. You didn't have that going into this free agency cycle. Um, I, I still think there's a potential because of where – look at the Fran mock draft. Draymond Jones was available. Dexter Lawrence was available. There are going to be tempting options there. Jerry Tillery. Jerry Tillery is still yep. there. So, yeah, so, so very tempting options there. So I think either way, I think D-line, both edge and tackle, are still in play. I think every position, because that's, that's the way you have to look at it. Look, obviously if, you, if you're any team and you're going to make a move to trade up in a draft, you're trading up to target a player, a need, something you feel is going to help your team right now. 
But if you're sitting in your spot and you and you're on the clock, chances are you're not going to address a position. You know, you might get lucky in a, in a position of quote unquote need. It just happens to be the best player available. But if you're just going in and saying, all right. We're going to take a running back in round one. We're going to take a defensive tackle in round two, a corner in round three. That's that's not a winning formula for to having success in the NFL draft. It's just not. You, you have to continue to bring in the best players available, uh, and that's what the Eagles are going to do. So what they do over the over the next few days and the next couple of weeks, yeah, it'll, it might have some impact mm-hmm. on, the, on the draft, but Certainly. it's not going to preclude them from taking one position or another, especially early. Uh, it just dawned on me we didn't answer the second part of RJ Field 11's question. I was gonna, I was gonna hit you on that. I, I, I apologize. Just you know, we just got so into the yeah. play conversation that uh, it skipped my mind. Nasir Adderley, what's his fit? I, I look at him as a if you're looking a Rodney, a Corey Graham, or Malcolm. I look at him as a, a Malcolm with the corner safety versatility, someone you could play all over the field. So you that that to me that's my initial take on Interesting. it. Interesting. Um, you you're gonna go more the Rodney McLeod. I think long term. I'm not. Be, I'm, not I think I'm not thinking Corey Graham. That yeah. that's the one. Well, I no. Think. I think short term. That's what the role he play. Short term. He's the third safety. He's the he's the Corey Graham. Short term. If you were if you were to. Bring I him was in. more. Proje- I guess I'm more projecting type of player, right, not what right. the role would be. Yeah. No. I'm so, thinking. I'm, I'm th- purely okay. role. I think long term. Uh, you know, he's probably more of a free safety type. I mean, Malcolm, he spends so much time close to the line of scrimmage, and obviously he'll play in the slot, and you know, obviously Adderley has that versatility, but I like him further away from the football. I okay. like him being able to see things and being able to react. He plays the ball very well in the air. Uh, that's kind of how I view Adderley. Some people view him differently, um, but, you know, he's a, a very intriguing player because of that position versatility. All right, so, uh, so got that taken care of. Our next one, we're going to Twitter now. At Eagles Troll, which recent Eagles moves likely impact their draft plan and which won't? Again, I think we kind of already hit on this to an yep. extent because of the fact that you're just trying to plug the holes. And, you know, we can get into uh, the Jason Peters move here. To me, if the Eagles were going to move on from Jason Peters, I would think that you're saying either you're going with Big V, Halpula, Vi, Vitae, or possibly Mylotta, even though I don't know if he's going to be ready for year two, but you're going to go with one of those guys as your starter. You still you still need to figure out your long-term plan. And I don't think it precludes you, once again, not to keep using that term, from adding someone from a talent standpoint long-term because you know Big V is going to be entering, I believe, the final year of his rookie deal, year four. Yeah, this will be year four. You know, you got to figure out what's his – you know, what, what can he be long-term? You, you've obviously won a Super Bowl with him as your starter at left tackle, but – uh, you know, can he be the guy, your foundation piece there, that position? My lot is going to be certainly unproven. Lane Johnson, you have locked in as, as you know, arguably the best right tackle in the game. I, I still add to the conversation. I still add to the competition and, and want to challenge the guys who are in there. You know, Brian Brooks is, you know, looks like he's making great progress come from the injury. You know, Kelsey, you've extended and you, you definitely have him in, in the full, which is great. Sayamalo has been given the, uh, the starter, you know, extension. He's he's been pretty much he's going to be the guy at left guard. But I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid to challenge it though. I still think you can add more competition to this uh, offensive line. That's how the best teams look at it across the board at every position. You always want to add competition. So uh, no, I I agree with everything you said. Yeah. So if if I don't rule again, it goes back. To, I don't rule out. In fact, let's your friend mock draft. I actually said one of the intriguing guys on that list was Chris Lindstrom from Boston College right. and. Because to me, I think high character, quality player, you know, you know what you're getting. It's 
not maybe the sexiest pick. Maybe it's not he doesn't have maybe the high upside of some of the other guys who you had available there. But he was intriguing to me because it's kind of like if I know what I'm going to get from this guy, I don't need to mess around. Okay, yep. you know if if I know I'm going to get a guy who I believe can be a starter and I'm confident is going to be a starter, boom, I, I want to get him in there. So, but it it all depends. I haven't fully evaluated or really research the other guys to really be like, oh, we sure. definitely need to go with this guy, that guy, or the other. Uh, our last question here, uh, our good friend at W... I'm trying to think how to say WR1T3HIM. Okay. Wilton Houston. Well, yeah, our good friend Wilton, exactly. Just leave it at that point. Uh, who are the top safeties with corner versatility? And Adderley, we already discussed in there. Juan Thornhill. Well, Thornhill, you put in, in that conversation, certainly. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson played. I mean, he was their nickel corner of Florida this I was going to say, you, you've studied him, and you've, yeah. you keep hearing him as a safety, but he's really been strictly corner. Though. I mean, the year before, I know he played different roles and stuff like that in that old defense, but last year, so that, that was the only year I've studied, he was their slot corner. Mm-hmm. He didn't play in base. Um, Darnell Savage uh, certainly has some corner versatility. Yep. Uh, he's an intriguing player. I'm sure there are other players that I'm thinking of. Taylor Rapp, I mean, Taylor Rapp when uh, I remember at the Combine in 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. whatever, Sydney, yeah, the Sidney Jones year, uh, I remember talking with Sidney Jones and Kevin King at the Combine, and I said, oh, who's, you know, who's next for Washington? And he was like, oh, it's our nickel corner, Taylor Rapp. Um, and even this year, I mean, he, played, he spent a lot of reps in the slot. So uh, he's certainly a guy to, to keep an eye on as well. I think he offers some of that versatility. Uh, we actually have one more question. Okay. Hot, hot off the press. Coming in. George Smith on Twitter. Okay. What linebacker prospects could be available in day two with three down ability? That's a, that's a tough question. Yeah. Also, is there anybody that could be worth moving up for maybe in the teens? So the second part, really there's two guys that I think people are talking about, right? It's, it's the two Devons. It's Devin White. Mm-hmm. Probably going to be a top ten pick. Is he talking about linebacker, or is he talking about overall? I'm assuming. I'm assuming he's. Oh, I was. Talking I, I was almost thinking as like any. We can take it either way. I thought he was thinking like, you know, if a guy falls to the teens. I, I was thinking purely linebacker. All right, I mean, no linebacker. Uh, yeah. Devin, Bu- Devin Bush is another guy. We'll see how high he goes now because I mean I think he really helped himself with the combine workout. I saw a guy that was explosive on film. I didn't really have big questions about his mm-hmm. athleticism. Wasn't completely shocked with how he worked out. Mm-hmm. But he is a fun player to study. Very very physical. Both guys uh, to me are two of the better prospects in this class. Okay. What about uh, the first question? Anyone yeah. or just the day two linebackers? The guys who are you know not of that tier. You know, I know Blake Cashman was someone you wanted to go back and study. With. Yeah, I think but he's probably more date. Uh, to me, I think you look at Blake Cashman as a as a special teams guy. To okay. me. Um, the guys that look, Mac Wilson is a, a player that, to me, again, based purely off of the tools he's got, should be a top thirty player in this draft. But the question with him is his eye discipline. He's only a one-year starter, started two games coming into this year. So, uh, you know, he's still not seeing things as quickly and as efficiently as you'd probably like, but has all the tools. I mean, he's long, he's physical, uh, he's got a high motor, he's really athletic moving both forward and in reverse. So Mac Wilson is a guy that really, really intrigues me. Voshan Joseph from Florida, one of the best athletes I've studied, very uh, reminiscent of Telvin Smith when he was coming out of Florida State a few years ago. Remember, Telvin Smith, a lot of people thought that he might be a safety when he was coming out, yeah. uh, has turned into a really good starter for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe, be, you know, look, undersized, but really athletic, instinctive, and tough. And Voshan Joseph has some of that as well. So uh, those would be two guys. I would put Jelani Tavai, the linebacker from Hawaii, in that group. 
really an intriguing player that can do a lot of different things didn't for you. Didn't get to work out the combine. Didn't that get to the... work out. And that's the that was a big you know thing. The big concern is you know the injury. But uh, when you look at Tavai. Similar to an Anthony Barr, to you know, a, you know, a KJ Wright can be used in a lot of different ways for an NFL defense, and athletically, it's very, very intriguing. So I would say he would be a potential three-down guy as well. All right, so phenomenal questions as always, and uh, look, we got to get to the uh, get to drawing board, get ready for next week's episode. Another week closer to the 2019 NFL Draft for Fran Duffy and Chris Barlow behind the glass. I'm Chris McPherson. Thank you once again for joining us again. Rate and review wherever you listen to our podcast, and we will be back next week.